Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Fading shot. Up. Good for Giannis at the buzzer. Bucks win it. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I'm your host, Kane Pittman. You can find me on Twitter at Kane Pittman. And of course, the show at Locked on Bucks. Uh, we, we do this uh, five days a week if you are just joining us for the first time. We're coming off uh, another big win for the Bucks. It feels like every game at home is a big win. They beat the Pistons 130 to 115. Joining me to talk about it from brewhoop.com, regular co-host on the show, Mitchell Maurer. Uh, Mitchell, I, I don't really know where to start here I, I feel like there's been too many times this year where we've done this podcast and it kind of feels like it's an irrelevant conversation we're about to have about a game of basketball again today was one of those days um, for obvious reasons I certainly understand that some people won't want to listen to us waffle on about the Bucks tonight um, but for those that do and I know there will be some that this will be nice for them to get away from the news perhaps or their phone for half an hour or so we're going to do that but how are you doing my friend I'm doing okay. I'm doing. I mean, me myself, I'm doing fine. Uh, you know, things in my tiny corner of the world are going pretty well. But uh, yeah, in, in larger parts of the world, for a great number of other people, things are not as fine as they are. And uh, I know I put it on Twitter before the game, or maybe right after the game was uh, tipped off, that I just really couldn't get into this contest because of just like the last 72 hours have been just really draining to just watch things that are happening, much less consider what the actual implications are uh, in the U S. So, so yeah, it's been, it's been weird. It's been tough, but um, at least in terms of everything that happened on the court, uh, there's tons of positives to talk about, which is, you know, unfortunately a, a nice change of pace. Yeah, I did ask you before we started recording here how many games it would take before you got sick of basketball if the Bucks just played the Detroit Pistons every single night in the NBA because they're certainly <laughs> a team, whether it's the Pistons or the Bulls, they have absolutely got their measure and none of these games ever really feel close. Uh, I guess to start this game, and even in the pregame, there was some thought that you know, we didn't know. Is this game going to go ahead? Are the Bucks going to play? Of course, in the wake of... I was going to say the the news, but th- there was really no news. Nothing happened in regards to the shooting uh, of Jacob Blake, which happened last year. Now it's hard to believe it's 2021, but we know that the Bucks obviously uh, were played a big part in, or the the main part in the NBA uh, coming to a stop for a day or two down in the bubble when this incident first occurred. Uh, we weren't sure whether they were going to do it, but the game started with a protest. The players spoke about what went down. So for anyone that missed this, uh, basically the ball was tipped. Uh, You could see that the players were talking to each other prior to the tip. So I knew something was going to happen to start the game. I just wasn't 100% sure what it was going to be. Uh, The tip went to Giannis. He tossed the ball uh, out of bounds. Uh, The players kneeled for seven seconds. The Pistons then got the ball. Blake Griffin tossed the ball out of bounds. They kneeled for another seven seconds and the game went on. 
Uh, the players spoke about this post-game. Uh, the seven seconds, which I can only say that clearly now because Brook Lopez revealed that that was uh, seven seconds for each uh, shot uh, that Jacob Blake took from the, from the police. So that was the reason or the significance of the seven seconds. Uh, and and then the players obviously went into detail while it it was uh, why it was important for them to do this. Uh, Giannis uh, spoke about the fact that uh, they had contact with the Pistons prior to the game this time. Uh, not that they would have changed anything that happened. It was last second when they walked off the court against Orlando in the first round in the playoffs. But he did feel that they wanted to respect the Pistons, bring them in on what they were planning to do. They wanted to do something. They felt that that was um, uh, the right thing to do for them, even though they understood it wasn't necessarily something that they had to do. Uh, they wanted to do that. They want to keep uh, making a stand. And it was said that they actually did this in-game uh, rather than during the national anthem or some other type of protest. And it was Mike Budenholzer who suggested they do it in the game because if they did a protest uh, during the national anthem, then that wouldn't necessarily have the eyes uh, that they would get if they did it in game because, of course, it's not always broadcast. So just some interesting insights to what we saw. Uh, and again, I, I don't think knowing what we know about the Milwaukee Bucks and, and everything they've done over the last um, sort of 12 months, uh, I guess now, it wasn't a surprise that they did this and, and certainly another meaningful moment um, from these players. And they've, they've committed. They're not going to uh, stop using their voice and their platform to hopefully uh, get some sort of change moving forward. Yeah, I, th- I think it's easy for there, – there are some people that were speculating beforehand that they might you know, refuse to play just like they did in the Orlando bubble when they went on the Wildcat strike that essentially ground the league to a halt for two days in, in response to the, uh, you know, the original events of Jacob Blake getting shot by the police. Um, and I think I really appreciated the way they went about acknowledging the news and acknowledging how that affects the community, how that affects Kenosha, how it affects Milwaukee, how it affects so many other cities across the U S where this is still an ongoing problem and how they are drawing attention to it. Um, but in, in terms of, you know, anything else that they can do, like the most thing that a protest is going to do, at least in, under normal circumstances, and I know this isn't a, an episode to talk about the other, I'm using the biggest air quotes that I can when I say other protests that happened today in D.C. Um, but most protests, what they're designed to do is to raise awareness of an issue, and Milwaukee as a franchise has more than done that. Uh, they, you know, they went far above and beyond in Orlando when they went on strike and refused to play and, and taking the knee and communicating with Detroit so that they weren't necessarily left out of the loop, which I know was one of the, uh, the sticking points the first time around we went through this. Uh, you know, it was good to be inclusive with, with how they went about just, you know, again, shining a spotlight on a thing that is bigger than basketball and that matters to them because they do have that investment in the community, they do have that investment in the city. Uh, Giannis, especially considering he, you know, signed the Supermax and wants to ensure that everybody knows that this is his home. This is the place that he chose to raise his family and to grow his family and to put down roots. And, you know, it has to be a place that is, frankly, safe and comfortable for him to do so. Um, I, I appreciate that they, they went out of their way to acknowledge it the way they did. Um, and for people that were saying that they were going to, you know, maybe do more than that, I don't really think that was realistic to expect from the uh, from the team tonight. 
All right, Mitchell, let's get into the game stuff. Uh, I want to talk about Giannis, certainly off the bat. A little bit angry tonight, Giannis, but before we do that, of course, we have to talk about our friends over at betonline.ag. Of course, I keep on mentioning it, but the NFL playoffs are almost here. Uh, Packers fans that are listening can relax a little bit, relax. You guys have a week off, but perhaps you still want to get online at betonline.ag and check out the lines for the playoffs this week, perhaps Super Bowl odds. There's plenty up there that you can check out, of course, with college football, obviously there as well, college basketball, the NBA, all the sports uh, up there, and there's only one place that has you covered and one place we trust, that is betonline.ag. Sign up today for a free account at betonline.ag and use that promo code LOCKEDON for your 50% welcome bonus. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore. Get in on the action. Don't forget to use that promo code LOCKEDON to receive a 50% Welcome bonus with your first deposit. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. And January is important in setting the tone for the new year. And in 2021, that has never been more true. Luckily, our good friends at CBDND are here to give you the support you need to conquer your New Year's resolutions and make this year your best one yet. And if those resolutions happen to involve fitness, they've got a brand new topical product that will help Keep you moving all year long. CBD Relief with Lidocaine, that's uh, cane with a C, by the way, fuses CBDMD's hybrid broad-spectrum formula with fast-acting Lidocaine to help you provide temporary relief for minor aches and pains. And with the new Bang-On Valve Spray technology, Relief can be applied comfortably at any angle, even upside down. Uh, This Sounds pretty damn good for me. The chair I'm sitting on is very uncomfortable. I have plenty of aches and pains. And to make it even easier to get your year started off right, they are offering all our listeners 20% off your next order when you use the promo code NBA at checkout. Once again, that's cbdmd.com, promo code NBA, for 20% off your purchase of superior CBD products from CBDMD. Twenty twenty is mercifully over. It's time for a fresh start and a few more wins. If you're betting this year and want more wins, listen to the Locked On Bets podcast with your boy Q and Lee Sterling of Paramount Sports. They are picking college basketball, football, and NBA locks all winter long. Subscribe to Locked On Bets wherever you get your podcast. All right, so let's get on to the game, and we're going to talk about Giannis. Before we do, uh, you touched on Giannis and the fact that he obviously committed to this city. He spoke a lot about the fact that the reason why it's important for the Milwaukee Bucks in particular, but not that it's it's uh, they have any more responsibility or they hold any more responsibility, but part of an extended availability. And I will say, uh, Giannis spoke for around 10 minutes in total. Uh, I'm sure by the time you're listening to this podcast, that will be posted up on the Bucks social channels. And, um, you know, if you, if you find time, I would highly recommend listening to Yana speak. I thought it was pretty enthralling to hear him talk through the events of today, what he's learned uh, himself uh, being a, an international that has come and now living uh, in America and, and what he's found as a black man. And he said, when I stop playing basketball, my kid is going to grow up here in America and my kid is black. I cannot imagine my kid going through what I see on TV while I'm living and while I'm breathing and can do something about it towards the better. I'm going to do that. I thought that was significant. That was part of an extended answer that he gave. But that uh, period in particular, or that little passage in particular, when he's talking about, uh, obviously, Liam, um, certainly stood out to me. As far as the game went, when this 
the protest once they, after they did the protest. To me, it felt like uh, the resumption of what we saw two nights ago when the Bucks played the Pistons in the fact that they had nothing to stop Giannis. And it was the Giannis show. He hit a baseline turnaround. He hit a mid-ranger from straight away. Uh, he was getting to the free throw line. He was getting to the paint. I think overall he had 16 points in the first quarter. It was complete domination. And Blake Griffin came into this game. He played. It didn't make a difference. He can hardly move out there. He actually was – it was hurting watching Blake Griffin try and get up and down yeah. the floor uh, tonight. And I, you know, I, I tweeted out that it's kind of sad to see the state that he is currently in. He's certainly been a villain, I guess, for the Bucks, particularly with one game in particular in Detroit uh, last season, I'm going to say it was. It might have been the season before. Who knows uh, with the way time's gone. But it's still, it's still sad to see a guy that was highly entertaining for a period that was honestly too short. But the Pistons, again, uh, they can't slow down Giannis whatsoever. Yeah, they just they had nothing. They, they had nothing for anything that the Bucks were doing. And to their credit, Milwaukee came out uh, when they actually, you know, started playing the game, like they were crisp. They were moving with purpose. Yep. They were going through their sets hard. They're moving the ball extremely well. I think they set a, a season high for assists with 35 tonight. Um, they were really working to find the open man to find good shots and to really work through their offense to, you know, put people in advantageous positions to score the ball. And, you know, under normal circumstances, that's great to see. And you're going to have a lot of positive results with that. And then tonight, under the circumstance where you're playing a team that's like, like think about it. Who is Detroit's best defender? Is it Mason Plumley? Maybe is it? It's not Blake Griffin for sure. It's not yeah. Derrick Rose. It's, it's probably not, Jeremy Grant. But oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Jeremy Jeremy Grant's good. Like and he and he definitely had himself a night because he was the only piston that could you know get anything going. But they just there. There's there was just nothing here. They were. I can't tell you how many times like I saw Blake Griffin just in the paint, just flat footed, yeah. while whether it was Giannis or Brook Lopez or Thanasis coming in for a dunk or a, an easy layup, just with no resistance. Like th- this, this game, just, they didn't even need to play it, honestly, because just I felt like Detroit just wasn't. At least on defense, they just had nothing to do. They, they, they performed well on offense. They had a couple of bright spots on offense that I'm sure Detroit fans are happy about. But, uh, but yeah, 15-point win is uh, the, the norm that we were uh, really, really lucky to you know, have as just expected over the last two years. And it kind of got back to that uh, the bucks we know and love from the last two regular seasons. Well, the reason Frank didn't want a podcast tonight was because Giannis only scored 25 points, but he only played 28 minutes. He played 10 fewer minutes than he played in the first game against these Pistons. It looked like he was going to have a really, really early night before he had to come back in late, and we'll touch on that in just a second. But he finished with 25 points, uh, eight rebounds, four assists. He was eight of 14 uh, from the free throw line. Uh, again, you'd probably love to see him knock down a couple more of those. Only one for five from three. Uh, part of those threes or a number of those threes came when he was basically just taking shooting practice out there when the Bucks were up uh, by 25 plus. Uh, Bud did take him out and had to put the guys back in there with around five minutes left, a few of the starters. When the Pistons just sneakily got the game back to around 18 points, it was never really in danger. But of course, we saw again, this is always the concern with Giannis in a blowout game when he's playing largely against bench guys. 
he can get frustrated. He can get a little hot under the collar. There was a couple of hard fouls out there. Uh, he was going back and forth with Jeremy Grant a few times. There was one play where he got up and started sprinting down the floor. And I didn't know whether he was just going to straight up attack the Pistons player or he was going to give a hard, fo- hard foul the other way as well. Giannis himself dished out a kind of a two-handed, uh, maybe looked worse in real time than it did on replay, hard foul on Jeremy Grant as well. So things were getting really physical. And post-game, uh, he again came kind of face-to-face with Isaiah Stewart, the Pistons rookie there. And again, it's just the latest incident where Giannis te- uh, tends to get in these feuds with really irrelevant players on bad teams. It's kind of the scariest situation for Giannis to be in when the Bucks are blowing out a team and he's on the floor with... Uh, I don't want to say scrub players. Let's say uh, developing players or perhaps non-starter level players in the NBA. That's honestly the scariest time for him to be on the floor. Yeah, it's. I, I'm not sure what it is. It's probably maybe just his his ego stepping in. Like he he's he's the man on the this Bucks team, and he wants to be treated with respect. And he probably doesn't isn't ever going to get all the calls from the rest that he deserves. And so when he keeps getting beat on and hacked and fouled, and you know the whistles aren't coming. Uh, you know, that gets really frustrating. And so he wants to, you know, find his own way to settle the score. But, you know, it's how many times are we going to see the Detroit Pistons over the course of even just this season? Like, I think we'll see them one more time next week. And then that might be it because of how weird the schedule is this year. I highly doubt we're going to see him in the playoffs. Um, so if, if Giannis wants to put Jeremy Grant or <laughs> Isaiah Stewart on his list, like, that's fine. I don't really think they're going to do anything about it. Like Blake Griffin, I'm not going to say Blake Griffin's a dirty player, but he definitely has a tendency to engage in behavior that is dirty adjacent. And so I guess maybe that's a potential risk, but that's no different than the status quo, you know, with when they start lacing them up for tonight. So yeah, I'm not, I'm not really worried about the Pistons. I'm just, I mean, if I can be honest with you, Kane, I'm just kind of, kind of sad. Like there's just, I look at their roster. I look at what they're putting out there on the floor. There's just not, there's not a ton there that's really appealing long term. And uh, I, I know what that's like having followed the Bucks for so long. Well, if you're a Pistons fan, and I mentioned this the other day, I mean, playing Blake Griffin for 26 minutes just seems like a negative thing to be doing if you're the franchise. I don't know how you get rid of Blake Griffin. I don't know what you do with him, but him being out there on the floor just seems like it's going to have a negative impact on this team because he doesn't provide anything anymore. He's got no athleticism. He can barely move. He can't defend anyone to save himself at this point. So why wouldn't you want to have uh, Dumbaya out there and Isaiah Stewart out there and Sadiq Bay as much as possible because that's where the the excitement or that's where the development's going to come from. And we did see that Killian Hayes, obviously a, a top ten draft pick in uh, this year's draft, uh, he went down in kind of a scary instant the other day, and it turns out that he has uh, torn his labrum in his hip. I'm I'm not sure what kind of time frame that's going to be. I think if he has surgery, he'll be out for the rest of the season. I I know personally, I had a labrum injury when I was playing Australian football and I had surgery, but it wasn't a full tear. It was just to clean up the area. But uh, I only had a couple of months and and I was fine. But then again, I wasn't playing NBA. So it's a little bit of a different situation. But the Pistons 1-7, and I think you're right, Mitchell. I think it's safe to say that the 1v8 matchup is probably not going to happen this year. I don't see the Pistons climbing up even into the play-in tournament. 
All right, before we keep rolling here with the game action, Mitchell, we've got to talk about rockauto.com, which of course is the family business that's been serving auto parts customers online for 20 plus years. Go to rockauto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. Uh, I've been driving up and down the highway from Geelong to Melbourne uh, pretty regularly here in the last couple of weeks. And every single time I see a car on the sidelines, I want to just pull over and say rockauto.com. They'll be able to sort you out because they have everything from engine control modules and brake parts to tail lamps, motor oil, and even new carpet, whether it's for your classic or your daily driver. Get everything you need in a few easy clicks, delivered directly to your door. Best of all, the prices at rockauto.com are always reliably low and the same for the professionals as they are for the do-it-yourselfers. Why spend up to twice as much for the same parts? Just go to rockauto.com and see all the parts available for your car or truck. All you have to do is write locked on in their how did you hear about us box so they know we sent you amazing selection reliably low prices all the parts your car will ever need rockauto.com when you need fantasy basketball advice it's important that you have a reliable source more people trust fellow australian josh lloyd host of the Lockdown Fantasy Basketball podcast and any other fantasy expert. Subscribe to the number one fantasy basketball podcast, Lockdown Fantasy Basketball, wherever you get your podcasts. I mentioned this game got a little bit too close for comfort, and I say that without ever sitting up straight in my chair as I was watching at home, but Drew Holiday did really put this away. First, on a dribble drive where he was able to find Bobby Porters for a handoff, and then secondly, uh, a really just nice breakdown the defender, glass, mid-range jump shot. And typically you would look at that shot and say, listen, that's not the highest percentage look you're going to get. But again, when you're looking at this team, how are they going to get buckets in the postseason if they're stuck in the half court, if they just really need someone to go get them two points? I watched Drew Holiday do that. And regardless of the fact that it wasn't under the brightest of lights and you're winning by double digits anyway, to see him do that and to know that that is a legitimate move that he has in his bag, it was kind of promising for me to see Drew do this because, again, I don't always want to make the comparisons, but when you look at the teams in the past, they didn't have the third guy that was going to be able to do that. So, again, not all that meaningful in this game against the Pistons, but it's a nice little reminder when you project ahead what you might be able to do in close games that Drew Holiday, still to this point, a little underutilized as everyone tries to figure out where he fits in in this team. He finished with 10 points uh, on 11 shots tonight. Yeah, it was very comforting. That sequence that you're talking about was a reminder that, okay, yeah, this guy can get points when you are, are in desperate need of points. One of the phrases that I like, I like using is manufacturing mm-hmm. points. A lot of times when, especially in the postseason, when defenses clamp down and the pace grinds to a slow crawl, you have to be able to – you're not going to be able to get scoring over the course of you know the normal flow of your offense or transition because – Playoff level defenses are so much better, higher quality, and you know more tuned into what you're trying to do. And so you have to be able to manufacture points. And Chris Middleton has been excellent at that over the course of his career. Uh, it's, you know, the Tough Shot Express is you know <laughs> notorious for a good reason. And, and Drew Holiday gives the Bucks another player that can do that against high level competition. Who who's a guy who can? He's a three level scorer. He's very crafty with that offhand, which I, I think you posted uh, earlier during the game on Twitter, Kane. Uh, <laughs> something, you know, he's a writing that's going opposites, uh, shades of John Henson um, around the baskets. But yeah, that, that mid-range glasser that he put up was just, it was just a really, really nice bucket at a point in the game where, 
you know, the, I'm not going to say the Bucks needed a bucket to secure the win, but it, it definitely made just everybody breathe a little bit easier on the Milwaukee bench to know that, you know, he did have that, even though he, you know, he went 0-3 from behind the arc today. He, he doesn't get to the line much so far in his Milwaukee tenure. You know, obviously that's, that's you know, Giannis's area to, to generate free throw attempts. So, so knowing that he has, you know, that other way to contribute when, you know, if, if Chris doesn't have, is on the floor, or doesn't have the ability or, you know, the, the wall is up as it all so often is when Giannis is on the floor. Yeah. Yeah. Seeing that from Drew is a very comforting experience and bodes well for the long term. Yeah. The only other really guard I can think of that shoots that glass of mid-range shot is what Russell Westbrook and he normally puts the ball uh, through the glass he throws it that hard at the backboard so it was nice to see that uh, control from Drew and I tell you what he does have uh, this is after just minutes ago I said we shouldn't always compare to Eric Bledsoe but I'm going to do it right now just quickly but the thing I love about Drew Holiday in terms of his ability that he's going to improve the Bucks half-court offense as you said, when you need to manufacture points, is his size, his size and strength. And we've seen uh, for years that guards that are a little bit limited in terms of what they can do in the half court, if they don't have the size, then they could get swallowed up a little bit. And we've seen that in the past, in the postseason, where Bledsoe has been forced out to the perimeter and then baited into shooting the ball. That's not going to happen with Drew because he's going to say, okay, well, what? You're not going to let me shoot from the three? I'm going to take you into the post then. Everyone else is going to clear out of the way and you're going to have to double-team me because if not, I'm going to score on you. So that's what I love about Drew Holiday. The other thing I love, uh, from this team tonight is the three-point shooting again. Uh, they just continue to be red hot, 44.2%, 19 for 43. And it was great timing that I spent, spent 10 minutes talking about Brooke Lopez yesterday because he found the range today, four for seven from three, 17 points for Brooke. And uh, the thing that I love, and Mitchell, it was actually you that messaged this in our uh, DM that we've got going the other day. You said, is it is it actually possible, or something along these lines, is it actually possible for Brooke Lopez to shoot uh, three-pointer that's not off balance. I mentioned yesterday I would love for him to put those away. And to me, the secret to his success in this game was that the shots that he was taking, yes, they were wide open, but that's going to happen. He's going to get wide open looks, but his feet were set, his shoulders were square to the basket, the shot looked beautiful. Yeah, the threes that he is putting up lately are just a lot more natural looking, and they don't look like they're like a great effort for him to be able to put it up and, and, you know, get it in the vicinity of the rim. You know, I, don't get me wrong. I love it when he shoots from the logo or the hash <laughs> on the sideline so that he can, you know, can a 38-footer and then do his the, the little cigarette uh, celebration that he did, uh, I think, it was last year and the year before. That's a lot of fun. But getting – especially – it's not just the above the break threes that are close to the line a little bit, you know, more on balance and a little bit steadier. But he's, I feel like he's more often in the corner to start mm-hmm. the season. I haven't like looked up any stats, and we're only eight games in, so it's really kind of early to tell. But just the entire – like if you, if you were to follow the path that Brooke Lopez forges on the floor, like just following his footsteps, I just feel like he's ending up in different spots on the offensive side of the ball this year than he was in years past. And, you know, he ends up in just more advantageous spots to take easier shots. You know, every once in a while, yeah, you're going to have to take that off-balance leaner because you've got a you know, hard closeout that's coming at you and you just have got to put up a shot to escape the, uh, the shot clock so you don't give up possession on a turnover. But it just it seems a lot more controlled, a lot more deliberate. 
And, you know, when he gets a chance to line it up with everything just aligned perfectly and, you know, he's, you know, on two, off two feet instead of like one and a half when he's got his weight shifted one way or the other and, you know, able to kind of just soak that follow through. And especially in the corner, which is an easier shot because it's shorter. Like, I just, I feel like that's going to, and he, his shooting percentages have never been super impressive, but if he can push that number higher because of the the type of shots he's taking and the way he's taking those shots, like that's just, that's yet another positive development for this Bucks offense. Absolutely. I mean, the big thing about it is that with a guy his size, most of his shots are going to come uncontested just by virtue of the fact he's going to be able to shoot over everyone. But when I tweeted out the fact that he hit his first two in the first quarter, he was looking really good. Uh, I think it was literally the very next possession. He had one in the left corner where he faked the pass and then quickly, and it's almost like he faked the pass and then he never took the time to settle, rushed it, and he missed it. And uh, Dan Chipman actually pointed it out. He said the last one he, he just shot where he faked the pass was not ideal. Feet did not look properly set or balanced and and that's kind of what i'm talking about here he, on that possession he actually could have almost faked the pass and then dribbled in and then been able to create something that i know brooke lopez as a seven footer is not necessarily the, the guy that too often you want to see putting the ball on the floor but i still just do think it's better than a rushed three-point attempt because while he's certainly shown an ability to knock down some of those tough shots as you pointed to even if you're talking about the deep threes where he's shooting out from the logo he had a couple today where he was super super deep above the break but he was wide open feet set they look beautiful he's got that range just perhaps not when he's shooting an off-balance uh, shot there. And we've seen at times, certainly through last season, I did think that he got a little bit um, caught up with taking some of those more difficult threes, and that sometimes can be uh, a little tough to watch. As far as the bench play goes for tonight, the two guys that I just continue to love, uh, Bobby Portis and Bryn Forbes, and I, I wanted to ask you, Mitchell, because I posed this question on Twitter I think that the question marks long-term with these guys in terms of what they can do defensively and are they going to be able to stand up in the rotation in the postseason, I just don't know yet. And and the question marks are still there. I don't believe that we've seen enough from these players with this group, in this team, in this scheme, uh, with all the different things they're throwing in there, the different wrinkles they're throwing in there as well. For me, it's too hard to declare after eight games that they're not going to be able to be in a playoff rotation. I just simply can't do that. But what I do know is offensively, these guys are getting buckets. Bobby Portis again tonight, 16 points, 10 rebounds. That's his third double-double already. And he's only playing 22, 23 minutes per game uh, off the bench. He did play 27 tonight, but 7-11 from the field, 2 for 5 from 3 for Bobby. And uh, Bryn Forbes uh, himself, uh, he had a really hot patch there where I think he had all eight of his points came in the one quarter. So Bryn Forbes and Bobby Portis, the question I posed on Twitter was, can you really remember two guys that are out on the floor in the second unit where they are, their, their role or what they're trying to do is legitimately just go out there and get buckets. And that's not to say that they're selfish players. It's not to put that in a negative context. It's a really, really good thing. All good teams need these bench scorers. But these two, uh, I'm just watching it. I'm saying, man, this is really fun to see two guys that are very adequate offensively, can uh, shoot from the outside. In Bobby Portis's uh, instance, he's versatile. He can score inside as well. Uh, it's it's fun. It's fun to see these guys go out there and score uh, quickly. It is. It is a lot of fun. And and specifically, no, I can't remember the Bucks having two players that have such an obvious score first mentality coming off the bench in order to support the team's offense. But the, the way that they go about getting 
their points and the way they go about making their offensive impact, I think is really, really useful um, for this team. In the case of Bobby Portis, like, yeah, he's a really versatile offensive player. You know, he's, he's very effective in the post. He's got that little mid-range shot that he, you know, he loves probably more than maybe Mike Budenholzer would like, but <laughs> if he makes enough of them, it's, it's fine. And he can stretch it out of the way up to the three-point line, but he also, he runs in transition very, very well for a big man. He runs hard. His, his rim runs are, are really high energy and really do a good job of pulling the defense in, uh, in transition, and, you know, puts pressure on, on the transition defenders to make sure that they're covering for him. Otherwise he's just going to have, you know, an easy outlet for a layup. And I think that's really, really valuable because we've never had at least over not in the last two years, but we haven't had an athletic front court player that's actually getting rotation minutes behind Brooke Lopez and Giannis um, you know, we're, we're ignoring the fact that Giannis' brother Thanasis is playing, and, and Thanasis is absolutely athletic. But uh, I, I, I don't expect Thanasis to be getting the same type of minutes in a playoff rotation that Bobby Portis is. I think it's by virtue of how productive and how efficient Bobby Portis can be on offense. And then the case of Bryn Forbes, I really see this budding, uh, just this really, really decent, good rapport with Giannis on offense where a ton of times in the last couple of games, I've seen them run the inverted pick and roll with Giannis as the ball handler and Forbes as the screener. And I can tell they're really trying to develop that, that feel for each other's game for where they're going to be and what they need to do in order to put each other into a good position. And, and Forbes just kind of like what we were talking about Portis running the floor in transition, like Forbes plays really hard. Like he moves very deliberately with purpose and he doesn't loaf. He doesn't half-ass it, uh, especially on defense where he's not good on defense. Like he's just not, you know, part of it is his size and part of it is his, his instincts and his overall feel for the defensive side of the ball. But like he, he moves like he gives a damn. And he moves to try to cover his guys and he tr- fights through screens. And no, he's not good at it necessarily, but he tries and that definitely happens on offense too, with all the off-ball movement that he does, and you know the fact that he is willing to screen for you know a seven-foot ball handler like Giannis, in order to pop loose uh, behind the line and try to get an open shot that way, and it, it just it gives it gives a certain versatility to the Bucks' offense that they really have not had before, and that dynamism that really you know it causes the offense to seize up, and, and they were forced to constantly be manufacturing points and you know with the wall stymieing Giannis and with all the struggles that we knew that uh, Eric Bledsoe had and as good as Brooke Lopez was especially in the last year's playoffs like he that post office is only gonna take you so far with Chris Milton doing everything that Chris Milton does like the, the Bucks just have so many more options to score points when the going gets tough and that's just something they haven't had before and so watching it in a game like tonight is a lot of fun, but I think it's actually really exciting for their long-term prospects as well. Yeah, I love that you brought up that play. Uh, for those that can't quite picture what we're talking about, if you do follow me on Twitter, I did put a clip up there because it stood out to me as well. I called this the old Dally play. We used to see him uh, do this with Giannis all the time. Uh, so basically, it, Bryn Forbes comes up as if he's going to set a screen. It's Isaiah Stewart is defending Giannis. Giannis is dribbling at the top, looking like he's about to go downhill. At the last second, Bryn Forbes flips from setting the screen on his left side uh, to the right side, and that just uh, that's, uh, completely catches 
the defender on the back of Bryn Forbes uh, out of whack completely and Giannis gets downhill. Of course, it's against the Pistons. The defense is pretty terrible. So you would expect at times there can be a better help there that will uh, mitigate this play a little bit. But uh, the other point when you watch the clip, uh, Dante DiVincenzo is standing right there in the dunker spot for a drop-off if that help does come and cut off Giannis as well. So it's a really handy play, as you pointed to. Bryn Forbes and Giannis have been forming this chemistry really, really nicely. Uh, I'm not sure what else you really even want to bother taking from this, but the one thing that I do want to say, Jordan Wara, we saw him, came in in the second quarter. I spoke uh, after the first Detroit game and said, listen, it's diff- different when you're playing against the starters, trying to find that confidence, trying to... Uh, you know, just realize when you should take those shots, when you should make the pass, where you should be on the court. Well, it only took Jordan one game because in this one, uh, Jeremy Grant took him to the basket, scored on him. And so uh, the rookie just went up the other end and said, oh, you want to do that to me, Jeremy Grant? Yeah, you're you're averaging 25 plus points per game this season. I don't really care. I'm just going to put an early shot clock, step back three on your head, knock that down, then run to the corner on the next possession and then knock down another corner three. Uh, This guy's confidence is insane, but it's it's really, really fun. And his ability to score uh, off balance, um, those step backs, it's... I, again, uh, without getting too carried away, we just haven't seen too many guys that can score in this fa- fashion. And to see a rookie come in and do this, uh, you can't help but get a little bit excited. Yeah, on the Fox Sports Wisconsin broadcast, Marcus Johnson was having a ton <laughs> of fun with Jordan Wara's decision-making. Uh, I think he said it when the ball was still in the air on the first shots with uh, that setback three. Like, oh, you better make that. Because here's a rookie coming in on in non garbage time, and is you know trying some James Harden esque <laughs> nonsense against you know Jeremy Grant, who's a really good player. Yes. In a game that you know is far from decided, um, but no, he, he cans that three and that corner three was just like was really calm and in rhythm, and it was it's I, I don't know exactly how. Nora slipped all the way down to 45. I know he was, at least in some of the stuff that I was, you know, scrambling to, to crunch up leading up to the draft because I'm not a draft pick by any stretch. Uh, but he was pretty consistently rated higher than that. Is obviously an NBA-level shooter. Uh, we, we need more than eight games to really determine what his NBA ceiling is. But at the very least, like, he's showing that he has – an above-average skill in that one area, and that one area happens to be really crucial, and he is not shy about using it at all. Like, he, he, when he enters the floor, he is there to score because that's what he's best at. That's how he, you know, justifies his time on the court and his time with the team. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's a shame that Sam Merrill isn't able to kind of, you know, go toe yeah. for toe. Uh, because he's out with that ankle injury right now. Um, but, you know, Sam Merrill also had a, a really nice start in terms of demonstrating his shooting prowess at the NBA level. Uh, it, let's let's just say this. If these guys can survive on the defensive side of the ball, like you, you're not going to freak out for the, you know, four to five minute stretches where they have to be in the game for, you know, like tonight, like Pat Conton isn't available to go. So you got to have somebody play the three, in the in, off the bench in the rotation, and Jordan Nora is doing a great job of acclimating himself to the league and and learning how to survive in, in the NBA game. And uh, you know his shots are falling, which is great to see. Yeah, three for three from three for Jordan tonight. Uh, Eleven points in fourteen minutes, pretty good going uh, overall. Another nice win for the Bucks. Another double digit win at home. Uh, just for those that are wondering where they're at after eight games right now, the number one ranked. 
offensive with an offensive rating of 120.1, which is just absolutely absurd. Denver currently in second with an uh, offensive rating of 115.7. So the Bucks really uh, just putting it on teams when they come into FISO Forum, which is great news because the Bucks are going to hang there for another couple of games. They've got Utah after a day off. They'll be at FISO Forum. And by the way, the Jazz got smoked by the Knicks tonight. We know how that feels, Mitchell. But uh, listen, I, I know I said off the top, um, certainly for today, uh, as people are waking up over there in the US, if you are uh, living over there, perhaps you don't want to hear people ramble on about basketball tonight, but uh, that's what we do here daily. And once the game got started tonight, uh, it was fun. It's always fun to see the Bucks play that way, play free on offense, put up a whole bunch of points. And Mitchell, I always appreciate you taking the time, especially this late after 11 p.m. Central to uh, talk some Bucks. Hey, likewise, you, you gave me a chance to not think about other stuff outside of basketball, which is a, a very much appreciated gift. All right, we will be back tomorrow. Like I said, uh, the Bucks will play the Jazz. Then over the weekend, they will play uh, the Cavs, uh, a rematch with Don Maker. Everyone is looking forward to that. I know everyone wants to see that game. Uh, that's what I'll be looking forward to over the weekend. We'll be back tomorrow, though. After the Bucks practice tomorrow, we'll recap anything from there. We thank you for listening. Uh, stay safe over there. We'll speak to you guys tomorrow.